let's go ahead and open our Bibles over to John chapter 15 is where we're going to begin today. We are looking at some key qualities of a life that God blesses. If I was to ask you today, do you want your life to be blessed by God? Your answer, obviously, it would be, well, sure I would. If you're not sure about that, let me ask you this. Would you like your life to be cursed by God? Oh, no, I don't want that. I want to be blessed. Okay, now we're on the same page. Now we get it. God wants to bless the lives of his children. He wants to do that. Some people see God as some sort of a stingy ogre up in the sky who wants to make things rough on his children, who doesn't want to bless him. He's stingy with his blessings. He he doesn't hand them out unless you really, really, really deserve them, this kind of stuff. That's not God. That's not the God of the Bible. All right? God wants to bless his children. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he's already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. It's just a matter of receiving those blessings. However, however, here you go. God cannot bless rebellion. God cannot bless sin. And so we will not receive the blessings God wants us to have in this life if we are living a life that is contrary in rebellion to the word of God. And really, it is that simple. My wife and I, we were having a bite out to eat last night. We were at a, at a Panera restaurant, and um, there was a, a, a woman there, a young mom, and she had, I think it was three children. And their youngest one, I think it was the youngest one. What's that? Both young ones. Okay. These kids, I couldn't, she knows because they were to my back, but she was watching. And uh, let me tell you something. These kids were like animals, screaming, hollering, and carrying on. She's just over. Don't do that. Don't do that. And what she was doing, her method of discipline was bribery. If you'll be good, I'll give you this. If you, you know, you know those, those kids have got her captive, all right? Now listen, folks, you don't bribe your children. God doesn't bribe his children. But you know what? Not only were those kids screaming and in rebellion, but what always goes hand in hand with rebellion is they were miserable. These kids were miserable, and she did not have a clue on how to discipline. You might say, well, isn't that being kind of judgmental? I mean, here she was in a restaurant. What do you want her to do? Listen, listen. The way you deal with rebellion in a restaurant is you take care of it before you ever get to the restaurant. That way it doesn't happen in the restaurant. And if it happens in the restaurant, you make sure it's the last time it ever happens in a restaurant. Now, I won't go into detail because that's not the topic today. But the point, though, is this. Those children could not receive the blessing because of their rebellion. And she didn't have a clue what she was doing. Well, God is our heavenly father, totally knows what he's doing. Totally knows. He never makes a mistake. He never does anything wrong. Everything he does is the right thing, not a right thing, the right thing for his children. And so one thing he makes very clear in his word, he cannot bless disobedience. Therefore, there are a lot of Christians who don't have a life that God blesses. And these are born-again people who have trusted Christ as Savior, whose lives are like a barren wilderness, and they are simply existing. They don't have the joy of the Lord. They don't have the fruit of the Spirit. They are just existing from one day to another. And if you looked at their existence and how they live and their attitudes, they're living exactly like lost people who don't have a father, and yet they do. What happened? Well, they've chosen basically to go out on their own, 
And the Bible tells us that their lives are going to wither away. You know, they're not going to lose their salvation. If you've trusted Christ, you can't lose your salvation. But your life can wither away. And so we are about to turn the page on the calendar into another new year. It's amazing how fast they go by. They go by like months, don't they? The years go by like months. I think it's an appropriate time to take an inventory and to look at how things are going with us as individuals and also how things are going with us as a church. All right? Now, as we look at the scriptures today, I want us to keep this in mind. This is very important. Please get this. When we talk about the church, we are talking about the people who make up the church. Right? When we talk about the kind of church God blesses, we are talking about the kind of people God blesses or the kind of Christians God blesses. Listen, believers are the church. The church is not an organization. The church is not a building. The church is an organism. We are the body, the living body of Christ. And so when we say, well, we've got a great church, that must mean that the people, if it's truly a great church, that means that the people are spiritual people. If we say our church is kind of a dead, cold church, that means that the Christians who make it up are dead and cold, so to speak. And they're not walking in fellowship with God. So the quality of our church is based on the quality of the believers who are part of this church, because the Christians are the church. Do we get that? Very important to understand that. Now, what qualities lead to a life that enjoys the blessings of God? For the sake of time, I'm only going to cover five of them today, all right? The first one, and I think is paramount, and I think it is priority, is this, a daily walk with God himself. What qualities lead to a life that enjoys the blessings of God? A daily walk with God himself. Now, folks, this is not a mystical issue or a non-achievable issue. Also, we're not talking about being religious, all right? We talk about walking with God. We're not saying, okay, you dress a certain way, you wear a cross around your neck, Okay, you've learned all the Christian lingo. You know, you say, praise the Lord. Amen. I'm blessed. Uh, you know, uh, all the, you know, whatever Christian things we've learned to say. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. I'm okay with one amen. Two amens. That's fine if you want to go two. But uh, that's, all, that's all right. But here's the point. It doesn't make you spiritual, does it? Talking that way. But some people equate a Christianization of life with spirituality. No, they're not the same. They're not the same. We're not talking about being religious. This daily walk is something that God has created us for. Listen, God, our Father, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, God, our Father, folks, wants to be real in our lives. Again, I'm not talking about some mystical existence where you wake up in the middle of the night and your, your house is aglow, okay? If your house is aglow in the middle of the night, you may have a fire, all right? Get out of there and call 911. No, this is based on what the Bible calls abiding in Christ. And in John chapter 15, we have the key passage of that. Now, what does that mean, to abide in Christ? Let me tell you what it means. It means to be yielded to God's will, trusting in him, and obedient to him. To be yielded to God's will, trusting in him, 
and obedient to him. The overall concept is to walk in fellowship with the Lord during the day, every day. All through the scriptures, the Bible uses the word walk describing a lifestyle of one kind or another. What is a walk? Have you ever broken it down? You might say, well, breaking down a walk, that's simple. It's steps. Yeah, but it's one step after another, is it not? If you were to say, I think I'm going to go out for a walk today, what does that mean? That you start out in a certain direction and you start walking in that certain direction, one step after another, after another. You're, you're walking. You're going in that certain direction. That's what a walk is. Listen, the Lord wants us to be walking in fellowship with him every day in a joint participation in other words we are staying close to him by choice not by accident by choice as a matter of fact you won't do it by accident neither will i john chapter 15 verse 4 jesus said this abide in me abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. The word abide, uh, the Greek word, meno. Okay, it means to stay in a given place, to remain there. That's the idea. To continue in a specific place. What is that? That's walking in fellowship with him. How do we do that? We trust in him, we depend upon him, and we obey his word. And as we are trusting in him and obeying his word, we are walking in fellowship with him. We are abiding in Christ. Now look at this. Two important points I want to make. The first one is in verse 4. And it's this. You can't bear fruit unless you abide in Christ. That's why a Christian who's not walking with the Lord has a barren life. They're not bearing fruit. You can't bear fruit unless you are abiding in Christ, walking in fellowship with him, surrendered, obedient to him. And secondly, the one who does abide brings forth, you see it in verse 5, much fruit, not just fruit, not just a little bit, much fruit. So the key to bearing much fruit is abiding in Christ. Now, folks, this has to do with your everyday relationship with the Lord. Now, we we use the word fellowship, okay? And when we talk about relationship, usually we're talking about how we're related to God in eternity. I get that. I get that. You know, a lot of people don't understand the word fellowship. What I'd like to talk about is not our eternal relationship, that we're simply the children of God. I'd like to mention our everyday relationship with him. In other words, how are things between us, okay? Am I distant from my heavenly father? Am I, am I living my own life and occasionally when I'm in trouble, when I'm going down in the quicksand of life that I cry out to him saying, help, help. Is that all my life is when it comes to my Christianity? When I'm in trouble, I call on him. Folks, he wants us to be dependent upon him, yielded and obedient to his word each and every day, every day. I say, oh, I can't do that. I'm too busy. Well, then you know what you need to do? You need to cut something out of your life and put that in because this has to do with our very welfare and health spiritually. And this is the kind of life God blesses because you're not going to be blessed unless you walk in fellowship with him. You won't get the blessings. In verse five, we see that the believer who abides in Christ will bring forth much 
fruit. Now, this issue of a daily walk with God himself, a daily walk, this begins with two extremely important exercises for the Christian. You might say, exercise, oh, I don't want to exercise. Well, this is not the physical, this is the spiritual. And the first one is this, a personal time in the word of God, personal time in the word of God. This is where we get spiritual nourishment and direction. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is an ABC kind of message today. This is very simple, but it's something, folks, listen, if we don't get this, you can forget the rest because this is foundational for the Christian life. There's got to be a personal time in the word of God. Our spiritual nourishment is found there. Our direction is found there. What did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's what he told the devil when the devil was tempting him. Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How are you going to navigate life? This is a dark world. How are you going to navigate through it without light? Can I tell you how most Christians navigate through life? Here's how they do it. See, because they're not in the word. I've already stumbled. Oh, now, oh, okay, I'm making little progress, but how are you doing it? You're going by your feelings. You know what? You're going to make very little progress in life if you live by your feelings. As a matter of fact, you're going to be more deceived than you are right on if you live by your feelings. God has not called us to live by our feelings. He's called us to live by the light that we find in the word of God. Folks, this will direct your steps. This is sure footing. This is solid. And this will be a huge blessing to you. Psalm 119 verse 130, it says, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. Be in the word of God. You know, I love the way our King James translates 2 Timothy 2. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You notice that word? The idea is not literally, it's be diligent, okay? The idea there is not a casual, you know, drive-by glance at scripture. What is it? It's an on-purpose commitment to be in the word of God. It isn't just accumulating knowledge, it's learning it with the mind to obey it. And as we obey it, we're walking in obedience, we're submitted to the Lord, and as we are, we will enjoy the blessings of God that are poured out in a, in, on an abiding life. We need to abide in Christ. So there's got to be personal time in the word of God. You've got to have it. It's incredible what comes from that. Secondly, there needs to be personal time in prayer. And if there's any area we fail, it's here. This is where we fail. A personal time in prayer. This is where we get our strength and help. Let me give you the most profound verse, I believe, in all of the Bible on prayer. Look with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians 5. In verse 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, here you go. By the way, you might say, I have a hard time memorizing scripture. Well, here is a freebie. I mean, this is about as easy as it gets, okay? The only thing easier than this is Jesus wept. Well, I don't know a gigantic amount that you'll get from that uh, as far as your every day, although it does teach compassion. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without 
ceasing. What is prayer? Prayer is an act of dependence upon God. By its very nature, it's an exercise of faith. If you didn't, if you weren't trusting the Lord, why would you even pray to him? If you're not asking him for something, believing he can do it, then why are you praying? It is the biblical posture for the Christian to be in prayer. When? All day, every day. You might say, well, if I did that, I'd never get anything done. Now, wait a minute. We're not talking about living in a prayer closet. We are talking about being in communication with God all day long, right? Yes, there can be a structured time where you have a list that you go through, and that's, that's totally fine. But on top of that or with that, it can be just the simple thing where all day, every day, you're just talking to the Lord, talking, praying, talking. What does that do? That's part of the abiding life in Christ. You're abiding. You're focused on him. You're yielded, surrendered, wanting to be sensitive to his leading and obedient. This is where it's at. I'd say, why? Well, that's, that's too hard for me. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you a, a, a question. Do you want your life to be blessed by God? Well, yeah, you know, here's the truth of many Christians. I want my life to be blessed, but I don't want to do what God says. Guess what? You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. It's like that screaming, wailing, well, both of them, those children last night that we saw, screaming, wailing, I want this, I want that. Well, they're they're not going to have joy because they're in rebellion. You know, there's a lot of Christians who are dignified, who are living rebellious lives. God can't bless you if you're in rebellion. Why? It isn't that he doesn't want to. It's that he can't bless sin. Can you imagine a parent who has a a little child who's a monster? Every time that child rebels or sassy or insults or screams at the parent or whatever, that parent gives them something good, gives them something they want. Now, I know there are some parents who do that, but that's crazy. It's not supposed to work that way. This verse, pray without ceasing, can I tell you this, folks? This is written to a local church just like ours. And God is telling, through Paul, he's telling the church, hey, church, hey, Northland, we need to be a church that is praying without ceasing. And you know what that means? Not just prayer meeting. Remember, who makes up the church? All of us do. So if I'm not praying, and if you're not praying, our church is not praying the way it's supposed to. If I'm not in the Word, and you're not in the Word, our church is not in the Word like it's supposed to. Do we want the blessings of God on our church? Absolutely we do. But the blessings of God on our church are the blessings of God on its people, because the people are the church. So if our individual lives are not right with God, Our church is not right with God. What qualities, power, effectiveness does our church not have that we could have if we were more given to prayer and praying together? Now think about that. Out of this walk flows everything that is good. What did James say? You have not because you ask not. What is it we don't have as believers and as a church that we could have as far as more effectiveness, more fruit, etc., simply because we're not asking God for it. And of course, being willing to obey if there's part of that involved. When we fail to have a daily walk with the Lord, we are saying that we can direct our lives better than he can. Now listen, pride is subtle sometimes. Pride is not 
you know, somebody who, who says to you, look at me, look at me, I'm better than you. You're inferior to me. I'm much better. Or worse, they say, I'm a humble person. It's probably the worst kind of pride. No, can I tell you this? Pride can be very subtle. Can I tell you this? Pride in a Christian is an independent spirit. An independent spirit. It's the Christian who will not verbally say it, but the way they live is they live a life independent from God. They're not in the word. They're not in prayer. They see church as optional. They see the things of God as just something that, well, you know what, when I can fit it in, that's good. Listen, you're being driven by your own pride. Again, when we fail to have a daily walk with the Lord, we are saying that we can direct our lives better than he can. Folks, that is pride. That is pride. Number two, let's move on. A biblical purpose and commitment for why we are alive as Christians. This is another quality having to do with the key qualities of a life that God blesses. A biblical purpose and commitment for why we are alive as Christians. This is a matter of being faithful to God's purpose for leaving us here. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. See, most Christians completely miss this. We're in the world. We get saved. We live our lives, and we kind of think in terms of, this is what I want to do. All right? Question. Is that what God wants you to do? Is that what God wants you to do? Well, this is what I want to do. These are my plans. Well, you just said it. You just exposed it. Are they God's plans? How do I know that? Do your plans fall in line with God's plans for your life? Or do they violate them? By fulfilling your plans, are you going against what God has clearly given in his word? If you are, they're your plans. They're not his plans. Because he doesn't violate his word. Paul understood life. And he said in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he said, and by the way, he was being told about all the terrible things that were yet in his future. How would you like that? He says, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. So that you see self-denial, surrendering of his life is foundational to fulfilling the will of God. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course, how? With joy. Doesn't that sound like blessings are there? And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, what was his ministry? The same as ours, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you passed out a track? When's the last time you witnessed to somebody? I'm not here to browbeat this morning, folks. I'm just saying, do we want our lives to be blessed by God? Or are we living our lives for an entirely different purpose of why God left us here on earth? He left us here to be witnesses. Do we understand that? Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now, he didn't say you shall witness. He said you shall be witnesses. That's a life goal. That's a purpose for living. It's not an activity only. Years ago, I had a a young person, uh, elementary age, little boy. He said, Pastor, I have a question. This is a good question. Some of the questions of kids are so profound, aren't they? Pastor, I have a question. He said, what is it? They said this, when we get saved... If God loves us so much, then why doesn't he just take us to heaven to be with him? That's a good one. It's a good one. Well, you know the answer, hopefully. He leads us here so that there can be other children in the family of God. 
He leaves us here so that we will share the gospel. We'll make a life of sharing the gospel with others so that they too can understand it, trust Christ as their Savior. And then there's more children that are going to go to be with the Lord one day. That's why he leaves us here. Folks, he doesn't leave us here to get saved and simply then to, okay, I've got my fire insurance. Now I'll just go live my life. I've got my goals. I've got my plans of life. Paul said to the Philippian church, he said, only let your conversation or manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Paul talking to the church of Philippi, that I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving how? Together for the faith of the gospel. You know what that is, folks? There's a biblical unity there. It's not everybody just going off in their own direction. Well, I got my own life. I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want. This is what I want to do. I don't care about church. This is what I want to do. I don't care about anybody else. This is what I want to do. Listen, you're treading dangerous ground because you're stepping out of the will of God. And you're saying, you may not realize it, but what you're saying is, I don't want the blessings of God on my life. Dangerous. Mr. Brown ran a sanatorium for rich women who had nothing much to do. They had been idle so long together that their nerves got the best of them. They fancied all sorts of things wrong with themselves as they grumbled about their aches and pains. Brown and his wife were getting rich, listening to them and babying them. Then one of the women made a few repairs on her old clothes, which she gave to the needy. Another woman took notice, then did the same. Soon, most of them were repairing old clothes. Then one delivered her repaired clothes and came back excited about how the poor folk received them. Then all of the women repaired clothes and delivered them to the poor families. The result? Mr. Brown and his wife found their sanatorium empty. The women had found purpose in life. The sanatorium was no longer needed. Now, we don't run a sanatorium here. Well, in a sense, I guess we do. (laughs) We're all crazy to some extent, right? We've got issues. But listen, do you get the picture? Do you see the analogy here? Do you see the example? Folks, if we would get our focus where God has his focus, a lot of our problems would go away. That's the truth of it. Why? Because we would be so thrilled enjoying the blessings of God on our life and being used by God himself to impact other people's lives that we would say there's no better life than this. But see, we allow Satan to get us sidetracked into other things. So the second quality is a biblical purpose and commitment for why we are alive as Christians. Why are we alive as Christians? We are here to fulfill the purpose of God, and that is to be witnesses to the world. Are you doing it? Are you doing something for the kingdom in that regard? Number three, another quality of a life God blesses is number three, fulfilling an active role in your local church. Fulfilling an active role in your local church. The local church is the greatest place on earth to exercise your spiritual abilities for God's glory. There's no place like the local church. No place. You might say, what about that parachurch organization or this one? No, no, no. There's nothing like the local church because it touches every area of life. You know what one thing the local church has on a greater level than any other group is accountability. 
And with that accountability comes vulnerability. It comes having to deal with one another, having to put up with one another, having to love one another, having to pray for one another, having to bless and serve one another. There's no place like the local church. The local church is a wonderful, wonderful place. But let me ask you this. Are you exercising your spiritual abilities for God's glory through local church? What about Sunday school teachers? What about evangelism? What about Awana workers? What about working the nursery? Oh, the nursery. Uh, how does that fit? And where's the glory there? Wait, wait a minute. It's not for our glory. It's for God's glory. And let me tell you, the reward will be great to people who serve in the nursery with a good attitude, because there's no reward if we don't. But there is if you do. Music. What about music? What about choir? What about financial giving? What about fellowship? What about encouragement? All of these things are found if we are exercising ourselves and giving of ourselves to the local church ministry. Well, I'm just not, I just want to do what I want to do. Listen, you're going to take yourself out from underneath the blessings. There's no place like the local church. Now, let me say this. I'll be pointed. I've never been pointed in all the years of ministry that I've had. If you are not here, you are failing in fulfilling that role. The more you miss, the more you fail. The more you are an active part, the more you and the church will succeed. Why? Because you are the church. I am the church because it's made up of people. And so we've got to work together. Everybody should be here for everything as much as possible. Now, I know sometimes it's not, but listen, try to make it to where it can be. I know we got some people, they they have to work on Sundays, okay? I get that, but can I say this? Have you ever been praying that God would rearrange your schedule, or can you get it rearranged to where you don't have to work on Sunday? Why? We need you. We miss you. There's a ministry for you, but if you're not here... You can't do it, and others can't benefit from it. Not only that, there's blessing in walking in the will of God, and it's God's will that you're here. Our lives have a profound effect on those around us, whether good or bad. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Look at the mindset here. Again, this is written to a local church as as you're turning there. Now listen, I went to, I went to Bible college and, and graduated. I got my BA degree. That's, that means bad attitude. No, Bachelor of Arts. Graduated, everything was good. And you know, we learned about the church. And what we learned about the church, was we, we learned about, yes, there are such things as local churches, but more of the emphasis was on the believers globally, all Christians, okay? And it wasn't until early on in my relationship with Dr. Scudder No one understands local church better than he does. He said, we were talking, I can remember fellowshipping once, and he said, you know, all Paul's letters are written to local churches. It's like, he didn't even have to say it, but the Holy Spirit put the thought in my mind, therefore, all the epistles to local churches are directives to local churches. But it took on a whole new meaning. It isn't just written to me, it's written to our church. And so when we read something in Philippians or Ephesians or Galatians or Corinthians or Romans or Thessalonians, etc., okay? And then there's the pastoral epistles having to do with church. First and Second Timothy and Titus. Now listen, these things are written, folks, directly to us as a church. 
So when we read these things, it's just talking to us as a church. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you. Think this way. Which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. By the way, that is literal. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Listen, a servant doesn't live for his own agenda. He lives for the agenda of the one over him. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, obedient unto death. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name. Jump down to verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out, not work for. You don't go to heaven by working. But it's those of us who have salvation, we are to work it out. We're to give it a workout. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What are we supposed to be doing? Are you fulfilling an active role in the local church? Are you? If you're not, you're out of the will of God. Now listen, not everybody can do everything. I get that. I understand that. We have some people who can't come to church many times because of health issues. Listen, I understand that. And these are people who have real health issues. It's not, achoo, achoo. Oh, I'm feeling terrible. I think I won't go to church tonight. Okay? Listen, if you have a cold, if you're not somebody who actually has to work at church, if you have a cold, come to church. Oh, don't tell them that, Pastor. They need to stay home. Listen, if everybody stays home every time they're sick, there's not going to be anybody here. There's always somebody sick in church. Do we get it? Don't stay home. Bring a handkerchief or some tissues. But nevertheless, do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, I'm not saying he's, he's not very understanding. Listen, there's many times I've come to church sick. I hardly ever miss church because of sickness. Why? Well, the main thing is God keeps me healthy, so I don't have to. But the other is when I'm sick, I come anyway. And I've had times when I've had laryngitis, who I've just barked through messages. And some of you remember those things. Hopefully you forgot, but some of you might remember them. Why? It has to be. It has to be. Please don't misunderstand it. I'm not talking about really serious sickness. You need to stay home then and rest. Or if you have the flu, don't come with the flu because it's so highly contagious. But if you've got some sniffles or, you know, you've, you've got a sore shoulder or something, don't stay home. Please come. God will have a special blessing for you that night. Did you know that's how it works? I wasn't going to come tonight because I wasn't feeling well. I've had this, people tell me this over the years so many times. You know what? I'm so glad I came tonight. I wasn't going to come because of this or that. And at the last minute, I said, no, you know what? I need to go to church. And I'm so glad I came. And can I tell you this? I'm so glad you came. Because when you're not here, you're missed. You really are. Number four, very quickly, living a separated life. The failure to do this is a major reason Christians never seem to progress in the Christian life. Many believers are participating in carnal and sinful activities and have become more and more polluted by the world system. They're fulfilling, they're living in the flesh, and they wonder why they don't see the blessings of God, that their life is barren. It's because we're not living for Christ, we're living for the flesh. To live a separated life from the world system. Folks, listen, the world is doing a better job in winning over Christians than Christians are winning over the world. Christians are dropping like flies. 
1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. In other words, before you were saved. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Can I tell you this? Christians today know more about the Hollywood and sports stars than they do about the characters in the Bible. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. And we wonder, why is my life not exciting? Why is it not blessed by God? Well, God can't bless disobedience. Mark 4.19, the parable of the soils. Most people say sower, it's the soils. It says, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Becomes unfruitful. So you can have a Christian who's living the way they should be and they enter worldliness and carnal things into their lives and it chokes the word and all of a sudden their life is no longer fruitful. Not a good idea. And number five, again, key qualities of a life God blesses. Number five, making life changes as to how you're spending your time. You've heard me say it a million times. Time is life. Life is time. Time is life. How you spend your time is how you spend your life. We are often having to make adjustments in our lives. We need to be sure that those adjustments will bring us closer to God and fulfilling his will and not further away from him and his purpose. Folks, when faced with a decision, say, is this going to bring me closer to the Lord and fulfilling his purpose? Or is this going to bring me further away from God? Is this going to take me more away from God's will for my life? Don't make the wrong decision. We need to make some life changes. The psalmist said in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We only have a certain number of days, don't we? Before you know it, life's going to be over. Now, what I've said here, mainly written to the Christian, if you're not sure where you're going when you die, I want everybody to listen very carefully to what I've got to say. We're going to close with two verses. The first one is John 3.16. Over history, probably the most popular Bible verse, yet possibly the least understood. Did you know what? People will send Christmas cards with John 3.16 on it, and they have no idea what it's talking about. Look what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is it talking about? The way to heaven. What is the way to heaven? Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to pay for all of our sins. Listen, folks, we are born into this world sinners separated from God. God says we cannot go to heaven with even one sin. Well, that would leave all of us out because we've all sinned. Yet God loves us, does not want us to end up in hell, and that is the destiny of everyone who doesn't put their faith in Christ. Religion comes along and says, well, the way you get to heaven is by trying to live a good life. No, wait a minute. We're already disqualified because we're sinners. Good works will not take away the sin. Good works will not save. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So what happened? God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is you and me and my wallet is our sin. Here we are, sinners. Our sin has to be gone to go to heaven. We can't do anything of ourselves to get rid of that sin. 
So God so loved us that he sent his son, sinless, God in the flesh. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of our sin, leaving us nothing to pay for. He came back from the dead three days later to prove it. He says this, if you will believe in him, that word means to put your trust in him. If you will put your trust in him, the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. Everlasting means it'll never end from that moment on. It's yours forever. That moment you are born again into his family. He says he'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. That's the good news of the Bible. That's how you become a child of God. You can't have the blessings until you're a child of God. But can I tell you this? God wants you to have the greatest of all, and that's the free gift of everlasting life. Would you today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ alone to get you to heaven, would you put your faith in him? Look again at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Look what it says. For by grace are you saved. That's God's unmerited favor. We can't do anything to deserve it. It's God simply being kind to us. For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. If you've never trusted in Christ, would you do that today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening, and would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.